This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, and we are on the downhill slope. There's five chapters. Five chapters in uh, 1 Peter. We have gone through all of it together up to this point. Um, I guess uh, uh, chapter 3, which we just finished the last time I was here with you, uh, would be kind of the, the, the middle point. And uh, now we are, we are uh, coming to a resolution. Um, I think it's important that when we come to these letters, we, we, uh, we see them in light of the whole. And I, I, I keep going back to that every single time, kind of reminding you where it fits within the whole letter. And we need to remember, as we look at today's text, Peter is writing to a suffering church in the midst of a hostile world. And we still live in the midst of this hostile world. Uh, we face obstacles, we, we face persecution, we face hostility from the world around us. And yet, in the midst of this, we can praise God because He's caused us to be born again. He's washed us clean from our sins. He's adopted us into His family. We have a hope that is secure in heaven with Him that no one can ever touch. And He holds us by His hand. He calls us in the midst of this hostile world to live lives that fear Him, to live lives of holiness, to love one another earnestly. He calls us to submit to the governing authorities insofar as we can, insofar as we can do so without falling into sin. He wants us in this hostile world in this uh, world that we live as strangers and aliens to live um, as good citizens. He wants us to live in uh, lives that are, are submissive to every authority and he wants us to follow after the steps of Jesus. Just like Jesus suffered, we are to follow after his steps. Um, and embrace suffering in the same way. And that's really what this text today is all about. Last time I was with you, I about said last week, last time I was with you, we looked at um, verses 18 through 22 of, the, of uh, chapter th- 3. And in those verses, we see how for Jesus, the path of suffering was the way to glory. It tells us about how he died, how he suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, um, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh. Okay, that was the suffering that led to glory, being made alive in the spirit. And and then skip to verse 22. He has gone into heaven and, uh, and is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. Suffering was the pathway to glory for Him, and it's our pathway as well in the midst of this hostile world. So, let's look at our text, verses four, uh, verse 1 through 6 of chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves 
with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, for the will of, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and, and, the, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that those who, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Let's pray. Father, let us hear your voice this morning. Father, let us, as we think about this text, as we contemplate what you have spoken in your word, Lord, give us ears to hear. Let us not be selective hearers, hearing only what we want to, but Lord, let us hear your voice as it penetrates deep into our hearts. Father, help us change us Lead us to repentance. And Lord, help us to prepare to have the attitude that you did as you faced suffering. Help us to arm ourselves with that intention. Lord, give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Since... Therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. We, we, this is pointing back to what we had just looked at. The last passage was how Christ suffered in the flesh, bodily. Oh, the, the ancient heresy of Gnosticism and Docetism, which was a form of Gnosticism, denied that Jesus came in the flesh. And that's one of the things that 1 John points out. Those who confess that Christ has come in the flesh... Those are the ones who, 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 uh, who are true believers. And here, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, the consequence, the, 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 the inference that we're to draw from the fact that, that Christ suffered in the flesh is this. We ought to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Because Christ suffered in the flesh, we are to think that way. We are to embrace suffering like he did. He embraced suffering. He knew that the suffering that he was going to go through was the pathway to glory. It, it was the pathway in, by which he would have every knee bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And for us, we ought to follow Jesus. We ought to be like him and arm ourselves with that same way of thinking. We need to embrace the fact that we live in a hostile world and we need to be ready to suffer. That sounds like good news, doesn't it? But this is what we're called to. We need to recognize this world is not our home. 
We need to recognize this world is currently under the sway of the demonic powers. And we are citizens of a new kingdom that is inbreaking. And one of these days, our king is coming and he will set all things right. But in this present evil age, we prepare our minds. We embrace, we brace for the fact that we are going to suffer. He says here next, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. For here is telling us again, it's a reason. Why ought we to embrace this attitude of preparing to suffer? Why? Because whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, I want to step back here and uh, kind of say what I don't think this means. Okay, it does not mean that suffering in this life or even suffering persecution for being a Christian means that you now somehow become sinlessly perfect. That we don't we, we don't sin any longer. No, we are sinners saved by grace and we are are going to struggle and battle and make war against the flesh until the day we either go into the ground or until the day we meet him in the air. Amen. But what it does mean, I think, is when we embrace suffering, when we are willing to face suffering uh, and, and hostility and persecution, taking a stand for Christ, then that demonstrates tangibly that we have made a break with the old life, right? We've made a break with the old life. Uh, we used to be this way. We used to be sinful. We used to, uh, we used to love the way the world Live. We used to love uh, just reveling in our own appetites. But when faced with persecution for the name of Jesus, instead of giving in and, and, and caving because of the persecution, arming ourselves with this intention to suffer um, is evidence that we've really broken with that old way of life. Does it make sense? That doesn't mean that we are supposed to go out looking for suffering, right? We, we, I mean, it'll find us on its own, right? It'll find us. We don't have to go and, 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 uh, in, into some uh, someplace, you know, parachute into... Uh, um, uh, a hostile Muslim country and, and, uh, and, and just wait for terrorists to come and kill. We don't have to do that. He'll find us around the corner. In fact, not only just hostility and persecution from the world, but just suffering in this life. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that is Genesis 3 where there's still just hostility in nature itself where we deal with things like cancer and uh, disease and coronavirus and all of these things. We live in the midst of hostility. We don't shake our fists at God and say, how, should, how could you? 
No, we embrace God as good even in the midst of our suffering. Then he says, so arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time is that, that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. I find this interesting, the way that Peter puts it. For the time already past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. You know, we were all lost before we came to know Jesus. We were all, before we trusted in Him, before we bowed down to Him as our Lord, we were rebels. And that was enough time of serving the world. That was enough time. It was more than enough. We need forgiveness for every second that we lived for the world. And he tells us now, that time suffices for following after those things. It, it's enough. Instead, we are to put off those things, like he said before in this letter, but to, to pursue after following him and pursue after following after the example of Jesus. We, uh, we live the rest of our life from this day forward. Now that's either from the time we trusted in Christ until he comes again or we die, or it's from this moment right now. When we hear these words, when we repent of things we still have in our lives, the time is already sufficient. We, we put all that off, and now from this day forward, we, we, we resolve that we're going to follow after what God's will is and not the passions of the flesh. There's a contrast here. He says, we're to, to live for the will of God and not for what the Gentiles want to do. Want is another way of saying will. So we're contrasting here the will of God and the will of the Gentiles. And when he says Gentiles here, he's not talking about ethnically Gentiles. He's not talking about people who aren't Jews. By using Gentiles here, I think he's using this um, metaphorically. Um, not, not literally Gentiles, but he's saying the pagans, those who are apart from Christ, all of the lost world. He's saying, don't live like what, how the, the, uh, the lost world wants you to live, but instead live for God's will, live the way he wants us to. He gives a list of all these different kinds of behaviors of the way that the world lives. These are things that characterize worldliness, sensuality. Drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, just unrestrained passions, just letting, just no kind of restraint on life, but just doing whatever, whatever feels good, do it, right? And then finally, I think he comes to a crescendo at the very end, the highest, the, 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 the most intense of these sins is lawless idolatry, isn't it? Idolatry. 
worshiping other gods. But he, you know, the atheist might say, well, I don't worship other gods. I, I don't even believe in God, the atheist might say. But we all worship. We were made to worship. We can't help but worship. The, high, the, the, the uh, modern God that our world around us is so tempted to, to worship is not something you bow down to like an idol or anything, but it's the self. Nobody can tell me anything. I do what I want to. And we've all, uh, our culture has basically said the individual is, is God. You do whatever you want to and nobody can judge you and you can even make yourself into something you're not. Gender, all of these ideas today. That's lawless idolatry. It's living for the self instead of living for the will of God. Verse five, verse four, with respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. It surprises the lost world when they look at us Christians and we don't just accept what they believe. They, they, they malign us. They accuse us. They say we're hateful. Tacitus was uh, an ancient writer, and he, he was not a Christian. He was a Roman writer, and Tacitus said that Christians were hateful people. They were hateful of humanity. And the reason he said that was they refused to worship the emperor. You know, uh, they thought, you know, being a part of a good, being a good citizen, part of that must be worshiping the emperor. And if you don't worship the emperor, you're not a good citizen. And so Tacitus said Christians are, are hateful of humanity for this. This is not something new to today. Ever since the early church, Christians have been called hateful because we love God and because we believe in His standards of morality. And today we're called the same name. When we... The issue is different. There's nobody trying to tell us, worship the emperor, okay? But what they do, what the culture does say is embrace gender fluidity. <laughs> embrace the idea that uh, a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man and it, just love is love. And if we object to that, they say, you're hateful. That's what this text is talking about. With respect to this, they're surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But let's remember the next line, verse 5. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We know the truth. Now, there's two ways we can respond to this. And one of them is good and one of them is not. I'm going to start with the one that's not good. We don't respond to this by saying, ha ha, you're going to get it someday, right? 
We, we don't respond to the lost world saying we're hateful by saying, well, you just wait. You're going to get it one day. You're going to know. That's not how we respond. Instead, this is meant to comfort us. To let us know that while we're maligned in this world, while we're called hateful in this world, one day we will be vindicated. God will judge and everything will be seen for what it really is. We will be vindicated. Verse verse 5, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. God is the judge who judges the living and the dead. One of these days when he returns, he's going to judge everybody. Not only those who are alive and remain, but everybody at the, at, the, at the bottom of the sea. Everyone who's been cremated will be restored and be back there on that day of judgment. And He will judge everyone. Verse 6, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. This sounds strange to our ears, doesn't it? When was the last time you saw a preacher go out to a cemetery, not for a funeral, but to start preaching to the stones, to the headstones? What does this mean? This is why the gospel was preached to those who are dead. Now, some may think that there may be a connection to the last chapter when we were looking at uh, how it says that Christ went and um, proclaimed to the spirits in prison. And they think maybe this is what it's talking about. But I, I don't I don't think that's it. For one, the proclamation that victory speech we talked about last time I was here that Jesus went and did there before the um, before uh, during the process of the whole burial resurrection and uh, ascension that uh, does not use the word gospel there in preaching it's it's just the general word for heralding and here it says that the gospel was preached even to those who were dead some may wonder if this means that somehow there's some after death uh, opportunity to hear the gospel and believe it but you know what the bible rejects that at every turn there's uh, i mean Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that uh, it is appointed for man to die once and after that the judgment. There's only one chance and it's right now. So repent now. What does this mean whenever he says this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead? Well, I think I think that it means those who are, well, as I believe it's the NIV that, that it kind of supplies some, uh, some uh, interpretation here. And it says those who are now dead. Because Christianity had been going on for a while already at this point. And there were those who had believed in Christ who had died. But Jesus was saying, believe in me and you'll have eternal life. But there were, there were people who had believed, there were people who had become Christians who had then died. And, and so maybe the, the unbelieving hostile world 
look at these Christians saying, what does believing in Jesus have anything to do to, to help you? You're talking about eternal life. You're talking about living forever and you're still dying just the same way we do. The gospel was preached to those who are now dead because even though they've died just like human beings do, it says, even though they're judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. We experience death. We experience that. And so I think what Peter is saying is this is why the gospel was preached to those who have already died and who've already passed on so that they, though they die, they'll live. Uh, whenever it says here, um, the way people are in the t- translation that I'm reading from and the way God does in uh, the translating, translation I'm reading from, in the Greek, literally, it would be according to man and according to God. I think maybe a better way of understanding this is, though they have been judged in the flesh, according to man, when a man looks at it, they, they, look, they think, they've, they've died just the same way everybody else does, but according to God, they live. According to God, they live. So let's step back. We've covered our text. What is the purpose here of this text? Remember, we live in a hostile world. The world will malign us. They will call us hateful. Um, They will persecute us. So we need to embrace for suffering. We need to brace ourselves. We need to be ready Jesus suffered and that was the pathway to glory. And so we need to arm ourselves with the same intention, the same way of thinking. Jesus went to the cross embracing it. We need to embrace suffering the same way he did. And we know that though we suffer in this world, one day we're going to be vindicated. We're going to be vindicated. God will judge the living and the dead. And one of these days... Everyone will know the truth. This is something that we have great hope in. We're going to suffer now. You're going to walk out of this building today and you're going to suffer. You're going to go to, some of us will go to work tomorrow if we're not retired. (laughs) And we're going to suffer. But one day, we'll be vindicated. One day, we will be raised and we will have the real, tangible experience of what until this time has only been hope that we look forward to. So arm yourselves with the intention to suffer. Arm yourselves and know that it's worth it. And whatever you face, we will one day be vindicated.